G'day. Talking about pedagogy with Ryan Shelton, Deputy Principal of Learning at Holy Cross College. This podcast is by teachers for teachers on the art and science of teaching. Holy Cross College is a pre-kindergarten to year 12 Catholic school situated in the metropolitan area of Perth, Western Australia. As an Apple Distinguished School, the college is a global leader in contemporary 21st century pedagogies that are Christ-centred and student-focused. The college's vision for learning allows for all students to be engaged, challenged and progressing. Well, welcome to today's episode. I have with me today Gemma Thompson. Gemma is the Dean of Mission and Catholic Identity here at Iona College. And I, uh, Iona Presentation College, I've got to say it properly. Gosh, I'm lucky. Gemma, you just took me for a tour of your new facilities here at the college. And for anyone that has some spare time and can take Gemma for some spare time, um, come and have a look at their new building. Seven stories tall, contemporary learning spaces. It's everything that I dream of when we talk about in this podcast. Um, a great space spot to come. So look, Gemma uh, has an amazing story in terms of her background, what led into teaching. Um, Gemma now as a Dean of Mission and Catholic Identity. Prior to that, when she left school, she went to Italy for a year. Uh, everyone said, don't take a gap year. And she took a gap year and she went and studied the Italian language. Mi non parlo italiano. E I don't know what else to say in Italian. Um, <laughs> after, after she spent that year in Italy, she came back and did a commerce and arts degree, commerce in HR and arts in Italian studies um, and then went up and worked um, both on the mines and in Perth for Rio uh, as a HR um, consultant. I, I suppose that's an appropriate way of saying it. Um, and then had a, had a big change in her life and we'll pick up on that in the podcast that led to her then taking on a grad dip in teaching in 2014. Started out a career as a RE teacher, religious education for those that are, are new to that, uh, at Sacred Heart College in Sorrento and then came across as the head of RE at Iona and now the Dean of Mission and Catholic Identity. I'm out of breath for your uh, your story there, Gemma. Welcome. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. So, first of all, let's talk a little bit about Italian. Yes. What made you study Italian? Do you have an Italian background? Why Italy? Whereabouts in Italy? Tell us it all. Okay, so my mother, Natalia, is actually of Italian heritage. Um, so her father was born in Italy in a little town, a mountain town um, called Piandalagotti, in the north of Italy in the Emilia-Romagna yep. region. So well known for Ferrari, um, cheese, all of the beautiful Italian foods that we get from the north. How um, close is that to the Dolomites? Not far, not yeah. far. So it's a beautiful little spot, um, but the town is tiny. So it's a real, uh, I guess, privilege to see that the town is still in action today. Um, so, yes, yeah, so my grandfather is from Italy. Um, my nonna was actually from an Italian family, but half of them were born here in terms of siblings. Yeah. Um, but she's technically Australian, having been born here, but raised very much in an Italian family. Um, so, yes, yeah, so mum's side of the family is Italian, and I'm one of 26 grandchildren. So my gosh. Yeah, so it's been, I guess, a passion of mine to continue that language and that interaction with culture and heritage and I guess story. Um, so when I came to Iona as a year eight student and there was the opportunity to study Italian, I thought this is an awesome mm. way, I guess, to keep the legacy of my grandparents alive. Um, so yeah, I started studying Italian at that particular um, point of my school journey and just fell in love with the culture, the people, the food, of course, um, and everything Italy. So it's been a big passion of mine ever since. Now, if you could cook one thing in Italian... One thing in Italian. I don't think you cook in Italian. If you could, one Italian dish. If you could cook one Italian dish, what would it be? 
pasta. It has to be a pasta. <laughs> and I think, you know, like you mentioned, when I was living there, I had the great opportunity to learn from all of the beautiful Italian women that I was both living with and visiting. So definitely um, a whole range of different pastas and risotto as well. Yeah, oh, sensational. So then you went from Italy into university, the University of Notre Dame in Fremantle, and you studied commerce and arts. Why commerce and arts? Well, commerce happened by accident. I was actually enrolled in politics and journalism as part of my arts degree, as well yeah. as Italian studies. Italian, I had no problem. That was always going to be a wonderful experience. Politics and journalism, I had to do an interview with, at the time, the Consul General of Nepal. And she asked yeah. me a whole heap of questions. And then we were doing a story about women in war. And she said to me, look, Gemma, I can give you these answers, but I'm going to have to tell you off the record. And it was one of those moments where I had to stop and think and think, all right, well, this is going to make the story. Yeah. But do I include it, considering she said, no, it's off the record, just for your knowledge? And it was at that point in time I thought, perhaps I may find the ethical side of journalism to be a bit of a challenge. Um, and also I found it quite stressful, the idea of having to go out and seek the work and be on the ball every single day in terms of finding stories. So whilst I love writing and love communicating, I decided that journalism wasn't going to be the path for me and wanted to find something that was engaging with people and in the world. So human resource management was a bit of a new thing at the mm. time. Um, so yeah, delved into that in second semester. There you go. And so how long were you doing the fly-in, fly-out sort of setup? Well, I was in Perth for the majority of my time with Rio Tinto. Um, I did work on the international projects, which was really exciting, um, supporting some of our HR staff in Canada and in France as well, um, while we established a new mine in Guinea in Africa. Um, And then it was, I guess... As has happened throughout my career, I wasn't really wanting to go up north. I love up north and I love travelling up north, but the whole idea of either going residential or FIFO wasn't exactly yeah. my preferred option. Um, very much a family person and love being around, you know, friends and familiar environments. Um, so I did. I went up north and um, for three months. And I'll be honest, I, I loved, loved, loved the job, but found the travel very tricky um, because the client group that I was looking after, I was flying four times a week, um, and the roster that I was on was a five two four three roster which Gosh, meant yeah. I was home every weekend but I pretty much spent most of my week traveling trying to manage then the workload and the interaction yeah. with people so I decided after the three months that if I couldn't come back to Perth then maybe it was a sign to explore yeah. other things and I'd always love travel so luckily mining pays well and I'd been able to <laughs> save up some money to go yes. traveling so yeah I'd, I spent the three months up north but I so I loved the job just the yeah. I guess the flying arrangement wasn't really conducive to a healthy lifestyle. So then you made a shift. You made a shift to teaching and you started a, a, a grad dip in, in teaching. What made you shift careers? Well, I guess um, it's been an interesting journey. So I, I, I was due to fly out. I'd booked my trip. I was going to go and live overseas um, for nine months. So I'd finished at Rio in May um, and then was due to leave a couple of weeks later to, f- to travel the world. Um, but unfortunately, my younger sister was diagnosed with brain cancer and that happened two days before I was due to go overseas. Wow. And I remember the nurse saying to me, Gemma, I think you should you should stay home. I think this is going to be quite serious. And then I guess as things unfolded, um, she had some complications with finding out what type of um, brain cancer it was. And the end result, I guess, was that she not only had brain cancer as a 14-year-old, but um, became a quadriplegic overnight on life support with stage four brain cancer. So I guess that was a bit of a shock to the system and shock to all of us as a family. Um, So the rest of that year, I ended up not working at all. I just Mm -hmm. spent time with my family and Lucy was in ICU for majority of that year 
at um, the Princess Margaret Hospital. So pretty much changed from working high-vis mining um, lifestyle to being a carer and support for my for my mum and my siblings, um, which then I guess prompted a re-evaluation of what was important for me in life and what I wanted to get out of life. And I must admit, I was pretty inspired by the nurses that cared for Lucy and having spent a lot of time mm. at the hospital, I did actually consider whether or not nursing might be a good career yes. option. But I remember one day having, um, you know, having some help and situation with Lucy and I said to her, look, I think I, I might do nursing. And she kind of laughed at me and she said, well, you, you faint at the sight of blood. Like that's not going to yeah. be good for you. And I wondered if over time it would get better, but no, I was still pretty weak on the blood front. So <laughs> I decided perhaps nursing wasn't quite the career for me. Um, and then I had to kind of think about, well, maybe it's teaching. My mum's a teacher. After high school, I think I was very drawn to teaching. So I loved yeah. my time at school, but mum was a teacher and I was very adamant that I wanted to form my own pathway. Um, so it's quite ironic that I've come back full circle to what I did love. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I guess, how I ended up in teaching, wanting to make a difference and have a, a new challenge every day. Yeah. So you've been teaching since 2015. I have, yes. And from any everything I've seen of you, Gemma, you are an absolute born called to be teacher. <laughs> Why do you love teaching now? I think what I love about teaching is there is never every, any single day is always different. There's always a new challenge. Yeah. There's always an opportunity to work with people, particularly I love working with the students. And I think at a school like Iona, I've got wonderful staff and students that I can work with. And then building in obviously the connection to our charism, to our sisters who live close by and work close by, that adds another benefit um, to working here. But I love the idea that you can leave a lasting legacy on someone's life. So in terms of teaching, sometimes it might be noticing a student or acknowledging a student's mm. contributions or perhaps someone hasn't done so well in an assessment, you check in with them and they go, oh, that person actually really cares about me. I think for me, it's all of those soft moments in teaching that yeah. really make it worthwhile. Like, yeah, you've got your important things like your data and your reports and things like that. But for me, I would say it's seeing the kids achieve with results, yes, but seeing them become beautiful women as they leave our campus is really rewarding for me. Oh, that's sensational, Gemma. And um, you've built this amazing uh, reputation about how you take what's happening in the classroom and you use it and you do something with it. And, and I think part of that comes from your background, the yeah. fact that, you know, you, you've been in the industry but you're born to be a teacher. And often some people come from the industry that are not born to be teachers and they fall back on it. But you were born to be a teacher and you've come from the industry and you bring this whole sense of a real world view to everything that you do. Now, lately, that's really gone a whole ne another step because you've been famous. You have been <laughs> plastered everywhere. The Catholic Church has got a big event coming up uh, later on this year. Tell us a little bit about that event and what your role is within that. Yeah, they do. Um, so we've got our uh, plenary council, which will be happening over two sessions, yep. first assembly in October um, and second assembly, hopefully next year in July. Um, basically, it's calling of the whole church in Australia to come together to discern what God is asking us of um, mm -hmm. Australian people, I guess, at this particular time in our history. And I think it's been, you know, a long time since we've had a plenary council in Australia. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to come together and to really listen and discern what the Spirit is saying to us and, and perhaps what we need for the church to renew and rebuild moving into the future. So I guess as a young layperson, it's a wonderful opportunity to engage with the faithful mm. as a you know community, but also our bishops and our, our religious as well to really discern that question. So today's podcast is really going to tackle 
ideas like this, this idea of a real world pedagogy. How do we transform lives? And you can see that from your heart and your sharing before um, in a way that is going to take what's in the classroom and put it into a context that's going to work for students. Often students, even in a math class, they'll say, what good is this if I'm not going to do it when I uh, leave school one day? What does that mean to you? I think you nailed it before when you said coming from industry, you do have a different worldview. And I think I found that over my time, I'm I naturally will look at what I'm teaching in the classroom. So humanities trained, Italian business studies, religious education, of course. But I will always look at the what I'm teaching and see how can I make that connection to the outside world. So, for a t- for example, in religious education, looking at giving the students opportunities to connect with some of the content that we're doing in the classroom, whether it be so. For example, Year Twelves, towards the end of the year, we're we'll looking at euthanasia. So often we will have different perspectives um, on euthanasia. Obviously, church view and you know societal views on euthanasia. But in the past, we've had the bishop come and visit and give you know opportunities for. Yep. Q&A on euthanasia we've then looked at you know what's happening in the media and in regards to a topic like euthanasia and how it's represented so I guess for me making that connection and making learning relevant and meaningful and particularly with a topic like faith which can be challenging and it's something that's not kids can't put their hands on and pick it up and hold it's something somewhat of a mystery for students so showing them that there is some relevance in being a, a good person and having a strong moral compass is really important. That's awesome. Now, the first time I think I came across you was, uh, I reckon it was back in 2017, and you'd just been through a thing called Studio Curious, I think, in in Catholic Ed. Yes. Um, And I think we connected um, through our vice principal at Holy Cross, Peter Collins, and then I saw you tweet once on Twitter um, about uh, an activity you did with your Year 7s. I still remember this, um, about they wrote some prayers and then took it out and gave it to people, and I saw this idea of, something that was real world connected and, yes. and it captured my imagination right from the start. I thought, oh, this is someone that gets what it looks like. What's this look like for you in terms of so- service and social justice and connecting what's happening in the classroom to the community and how does that stand with you? I think it's really, really important and I guess um, one of the other hats that I wear in addition to my role here at school is um, the Presentation Sisters, so a religious congregation um, here in Perth um, and across Western Australia have entrusted me to be their justice representative. So it's a role that I do in a volunteer capacity, um, advocating for them on, on different matters of justice and around the world the sisters have their religious congregations again that advocate for justice. So in terms of application in a school context, our service groups have been restructured to mm-hmm. basically align with what the sisters' priorities are in the world. So at the moment, there's three kind of key areas that the sisters globally are looking at addressing, you know, issues impacting women and children, Aboriginal people and caring for our environment. So in terms of our student service groups, for example, since we've put together a proper education action for justice plan at a, at a global level for our sisters, I've then filtered that into the service group structures. So each term we look at one of those priority areas and then I've taken the Young Christian Students approach of See, Judge, Act yep. and put that into our structure as well. So for example, um, this term we're looking at Aboriginal people. So the first part of the term will be the C part of the term. So we're looking at both AV, so you know some documentaries, we've got some guest speakers, um, looking at our own context and what we're doing in yeah. terms of supporting Aboriginal people here at Iona. There'll be that discernment, that conversation, the listening side of things 
Um, and then what we'll do is the students will then decide what they would like to do to make a difference. So the ACT phase. So they basically their projects will be something small to something big, but it's very much led by them. So I've been, I guess, educating them about different types of advocacy and encouraging them to think beyond just the usual kind of fundraising drives that yeah. schools can tend to tend to do, which are great, but it's also, I guess, for me, educating the students about why we have these issues or why are we collecting socks for the homeless or why is it that we need to, you know, do some food drives or why is it that I've asked you to sleep out rough in the school gym on a Friday night? Yeah. Um, so making those connections and I think having the education plus real-world connection has really made things... I guess real for the students so what would you say to a teacher that says the curriculum's crowded we've got too much stuff on at schools why would we add all of these extra things there's always a lot happening and I think it's very much what you prioritise and I guess working smarter, not harder. I yeah. think, you know, I also have a very busy load. I'm teaching as well as, you know, doing my leadership role and, and other things. But it's re-evaluating what you have and how you might do that differently. It doesn't have to be a huge transformational change. It might be in some circumstances, but sometimes all it takes is a little bit of forward planning um, and then engaging in connections. And that's where I guess networking helps when you are yeah. well networked or you're starting to networking, that can help. Um, and I guess, yeah, just realigning things. So it's not adding necessarily, it's just how can we do this differently to make those reward connections. So, so what does your um, service learning look like then with these extra groups that the girls are doing? So the students from year 7 through to year 12, um, year 12 is optional because we know yep. that lots of people are very busy in year 12, but the students from 7 to 11 have a structured Christian service learning program where they're expected to go out into the community and to, to assist, which will do a wonderful job. We're really proud of them. Um, so we've titled it One Step Beyond to link into our charism yep. where our founderist Nano Nagel was going one step beyond in the community. Um, um, so year sevens and eights look at more local kind of activities. But again, they, they need to find the work themselves to do, which they do a wonderful job of. And then nines through to elevens is looking at, okay, well, let's take a step outside of our comfort zone and then let's start to look beyond the walls of Iona and service opportunities. So we have one side of the other coin, which is a service learning program that's structured, but then we've also got co-curricular opportunities yes. at lunch times for students, which is our service group. So we've got an enviro group, which focuses purely on the environment arm of our priority areas. We also have our young Prezi service group, which focuses on Aboriginal people, women and children. Um, we've got Uthando dolls, where girls will sew dolls for children in Africa. We have our community cook-up, um, which happens a couple of times of term, where students will cook meals to go to St Patrick's Community Support Centre in Fremantle um, and also to the Salvation Army Outreach um, in Northbridge. So for those that love cooking, that works for yeah. them. Um, and we've also just started a student ministry um, group. So trying to, I guess, um, couple together all of our fundraising, mission, faith, liturgy aspects of the college and and really promoting some student formation in that area so trying I guess to identify that service and giving and um, learning about those real world connections is going to be different for each student so looking at different opportunities for them I just love it Gemma you sound so busy uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but what I love is that this is learning absolutely you know this is what teaching's about. And I think at the heart of it is passion. If you've yep. got someone, and I know obviously this is a, a real passion area of mine, but to, there's so many passionate teachers out there that have, you know, amazing skills to offer and it's about finding that niche and having that confidence to to share that with the students. Yeah. Now, another thing that you've been, become quite renowned for is the Making Jesus Real 
Yes. Um, can you talk us through that? Absolutely. So again, this is going back to Studio Curious in 2016. Um, we were looking at the religious education curriculum in terms, of, I guess, what's being taught in the classrooms. And it was really important to form that knowledge in a, I guess, in a more formal sense for the students. But we felt that there was a and I guess an opportunity for students to see how that could be complemented with a, a real world application. Um, so I made a phone call to a, a random guy in Tasmania that I'd never met before, <laughs> Marty Ogle, and um, he was recommended to me, call this guy in Tasmania, he's a good person to talk to. So I rang him and I just said, look, can you tell me where this Making Jesus Real? I've, I've heard a little bit about it. It's not super big in WA, but you know, I know there's some primary schools, but why are we not doing something like this in a secondary school? And he said, well, I think we should. And he said, and you can help me. And I went, okay. <laughs> so I went, oh, and then I went, okay. Um, so I guess from there sparked the journey with Marty. Um, yep. From 2016 until the end of 2018, we put together a pastoral care resource for students um, in Catholic schools, which has also now been, um, I guess, communicated for Christian schools as well. Yep. So works across the board. Um, and Making Jesus Real very much is a, a way of life. It's not a program. It's not a book. It's about teaching students the skills, like I said to you before, about those soft skills that make them amazing people. Um, and so the Making Jesus Real for secondary students is looking at topics like how do we build resilience in students? How do we acknowledge, um, you know, grief as, a, as something that is very real to us? How do we actually have a, ha a can-do attitude? So there's a whole range of different topics in, in the program, I guess. Um, but we're very much about it's a becoming a way of life. It's how can you make the qualities of Jesus Christ real in a world that is changing and a lot of people will go, well, who is this Jesus guy and what does he mean? But a lot of students can relate to Jesus through the values that he emulated throughout his lifestyle. So making Jesus real, I think, complements the religious education um, curriculum really well in terms of that real world application. So on a practical level, what would I see with that? So I guess um, we talk about making Jesus real people being um, West people. So they're welcoming people, they're encouraging people, they're people that would say sorry, they were people that would, that would say thank you. So there's different acronyms that, you know, students would then use to build a school culture. Um, and then looking at, okay, building that support, um, feeling that they're okay to have hard conversations, knowing who to, you know, to turn to if they need some help. Um, so sometimes it's reflected in awards, sometimes reflected in, you know, house system setups. Um, we've used it in the past for reflection days. Yep. So looking at a different spin. So it very much has a lot of different um, applications in a school context and it depends how a school, a secondary school would like to tackle it. Um, but I think it's something that has real benefit for the students. And yes, there's a lot of pastoral care programs around and Resilience Projects is another amazing yes. one. Yeah. And it works beautifully alongside the Resilience Project in promoting, you know, grit and resilience and empathy and all of that kind of thing. How have you gone embedding that into the fabric of the college? So we're very much, I guess, um, we've got our presentation values of compassion, hospitality, yep. simplicity and justice. And I think a lot of the acronyms that we teach in Making Jesus Real really fit in beautifully. So we've started looking at the program with our year seven and eight students. So looking at it in terms of alongside the curriculum. So teaching our curriculum and then using opportunities from the teacher resource and the student resource, which is a reflective journal to use um, in the classroom. 
him. So, for example, if we were talking about the characteristics of Jesus in RE, say Year 7 class, I can then link that to the the resource and do an activity from the Making Jesus Real program to teach the required curriculum. Um, Otherwise, I guess very much in terms of student formation, we've used it. Yeah. And look, your results here at IANA have been excellent for a long time and particularly in religion and life which is a senior school class uh, a senior school um, subject uh, here in western australia do you think there is a connection between all of these real world activities that you're doing with the girls and then the academic results that are happening long term i think so i think there has particularly from religion and life there there has to be a correlation and i do think obviously the syllabus is the same for everyone in western australia but what you choose to teach in terms of topic or content to match yeah. those syllabus points is really critical and i think we've spent a lot of time looking at what makes our girls tick but also what do we feel that we should be informing them with or giving them knowledge mm. for before they leave us and move out into the world? So, for example, we do our current issues. We talk about abortion. We talk about euthanasia. We've talked about sectarianism in, in terms of syllabus. We've talked about in terms of rituals and practices and teachings, we've chosen marriage because most yes. of our girls, well, they'll, they'll get married or they'll go into other vocations. But we've tried to, I guess, profile our students and see where they're at on their journey. And then each year we will then adapt and change and I think that has proved really successful for us. Yeah it's great. What advice would you give out there to schools whether they're a part of like a a religious background or non-religious background um, to embed things like these different practices that you've got out there going? My, I guess this comes back to my HR background as yeah. well, is a bit of a, an audit of what you're doing. And the big question that I like to ask and people are always saying, Gemma, you're so annoying with your questions, is why are we doing this? Yeah. What is the purpose? What are we trying to achieve and what do we need to get there? So I think having the why question and also having a vision of what you would like to achieve. Um, having some kind of structure around that, I guess, for me has been really helpful because I think sometimes teachers have a lot of things on the go at, at multiple times. So I guess working out why are we doing this and, and what would we like to achieve and how we're going to get there, um, putting in place, a, I guess, a, a bare bones structure, knowing that yep. it will move and change over time and then thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to resource this to make it happen? What kind of connections do I need? And the one piece of advice I would say is don't let money be an obstacle because yeah. some people will say, oh, I can't afford this expensive guest speaker or I can't afford to get this subscription to this program or whatever. But there are creative ways of, mm-hmm. you know, getting sponsorship or networking with different people or looking around your circles and there's people with a plethora of experiences that can share with you as well. So, um, I think, yeah, first of all, just taking a step back, working smarter, not harder, um, yeah. and then also ensuring that you have the passion for what you're trying to drive because that very much role models to who you're working with, whether it be students or staff or community members, etc. Yeah, and I'd throw out there as well, one of the things in Catholic education is we talk about educating the whole person. Absolutely. That, you know, what we do here as teachers is so much bigger than what we do for a student's brain. Yes. Um, and the more that we can equip them, that head, heart, hand sort of um, set up, and the more that we can help them to understand that there's more to a person to thrive in life than just what you know, I think the better equipped they're going to be. I agree. And I think one of the, the turns of phrase that I like to use, and we use quite a bit with Making Jesus Real, is that whole concept of informing, forming, and transforming. I so, love as that. a result of, you know, head, heart, hands, I guess it's another take of, you know, looking at things. But I think if you can inform students, you can then form students and then as a result of that formation, they're then transformed to make a difference in the world. So I guess if you use that as your structure, can't really go too wrong. 
yeah, hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I've got one last question for you. Sure. Okay. Um, there's not many um, people that I've come across that have been as successful as quickly as you, particularly coming from a career transition. Yes. Why so successful? Why so quickly? How the heck does someone else do it? Oh God, what a question! <laughs> I think you said people you don't like pe- people don't like you asking questions, so it's my turn. Okay, no worries. <laughs> I think I might. I'll tackle the the quick bit first. I do really feel blessed that I to be in the position that I am, and I think again going back to my faith background, it's definitely been a work of the Holy Spirit to have me where I am yep. today. And I I do believe in that you do make the opportunities for yourself, but you also need to be open to, you know, taking a step into the wide world even sometimes when you feel a little bit uncomfortable and you think oh I can't quite do it yet Um, and I read a statistic once and it was talking about um, the difference between males and females when applying for jobs and it was saying that males are are much more comfortable in going oh that's a great job yeah I can think I can do that and putting in a resume and and having a crack at the job whereas females will try and tick majority of the boxes (laughs) before they'll try and apply for a job Um, but I think yeah having the confidence to back yourself and to to know also that you have to be in it to win it and if you if you put your name and you have a go and it doesn't fall your way that's okay you still take away so much learning from that experience so again like I mentioned to you off air earlier like I, I didn't really have any intention of of leaving Sacred Heart so early um, it was basically an opportunity came up at my old school and it was again just it kept representing itself yeah. in so many ways that it became really hard to ignore and then I thought well maybe I better put an application in. and then I guess it's led me to where I am today so I think seize the opportunities um, and have someone too that looks out for you like I was really fortunate that I had quite a few people that had identified and recognised for me particularly career switching I was worried that people wouldn't um, recognise my skills from a commerce background because I thought, well, maybe people might not see them as transferable to an education background. But the people that were very much in my camp recognised that and supported me in that journey, which was wonderful, um, and were able to, I guess, you know, nudge me in certain directions which I hadn't even considered. So I think um, having those champions was really, really important. And I guess the other thing is just really – it's hard work. Like it it, it does – it does take time. Um, it does take energy. It does take passion. It does take a lot of grit. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if I look back on the last seven years, I've enjoyed every single day. Mm. Um, and I know that I'm in the right space because I love what I do. So I think having that passion gives you a great sense of, of energy. Um, but again, I guess to stress the importance of connections. Um, so Catholic Ed is one system, independent sector, education, WA, nationally, internationally. And, you know, this podcast reaching many listeners is an example of that. There's huge networks to be to be made and to leverage off the learning of each of us and what we can give to each other. So I guess that's part of my journey. But I do feel incredibly blessed to mm-hmm. have to be in the position that I'm in. Well, thank you so much for your time today, for your wisdom for the, taking me for a tour of your new facility here, which, as I said at the start of the podcast, if people want to see something immaculate, come out and see this because this is contemporary learning at its best. Um, and, and thank you for the difference that you're making in the lives of the young people that you're working with. Um, and I know that there's going to be so much more in the future. So good luck with everything and thanks for your time today. Thanks very much, Ryan. If you know of any awesome educators that we should have on this podcast, please reach out. Thanks for listening to the Talking About Pedagogy podcast from Holy Cross College. Be sure to find us at holycross.wa.edu.au and follow us on Twitter. Goodbye, God bless, and thank you for being my friends.